He has it knocked away, stolen Keyshawn Gilbert. Keyshawn front court. Keyshawn in the lane. Keyshawn underneath. Oh my gosh! Scoop shot with the left hand is good. Bruins win the draw. Clifton passes right into the middle. Bergeron scores! Top right corner. Harkless down the right side. Harkless lays it up, yeah. back iron and in. Nice move by yes. EJ. Now Keyshawn Gilbert steals the inbounds pass, gets fouled, and then go to the line and shoot two. Keyshawn saying, hey guys, let's stick around. Taylor Hall pokes it ahead. Osternock in, and a centering try. DeBrusque score! They work it right side to Bamba. Bamba mm -hmm. throws Good it up defense. in the air. The Rebels force the turnover, and EJ Harkless says, give me the ball. Over to the far side, Bruins still in the zone. A left wing shot, score! Here we go. Ed, Tyler, and Jared. I like that song, the song behind that. I like that. What do we got there? It's The Night Santa Went Crazy by Weird Al Yankovic. All right. Did you know that? Of course I didn't know that. Really? You seem like a Weird Al guy. Maybe it's the glasses. I had no idea. You liked it, though. Yeah, I liked it. I assumed it. you knew good. the song when you no, said I liked, I liked the song it. in the background the song. there. All right. Yeah. Uh, today's going to be a fun show been a lot of fun shows but today's gonna be a good one making that prediction what prediction that it's gonna be fun yeah they're yeah. always fun did you uh i uh, mean it's a morning show if we're not having fun we're not doing that's our true. job we're not doing our job <laughs> had to drive home in the pouring rain from california what a disaster was it well raining? was it raining the whole way a lot of the way it was oh. man out of california it was pouring i think there's like a 14 car wreck on the 215 yesterday yeah, that's why we went 15 and 95. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. Uh, well, what am I saying? I didn't drive. <laughs> <laughs> I was sleeping most of the way. She was gripping the steering wheel. It's it's very stressful driving through that. As great a driver she is, never a ticket, never an accident. Never a ticket? Never a ticket, never an accident. That's impressive. That? That's very impressive. That's very impressive. Okay, she remind, she that reminds also me all the time. makes me think that she's had a ticket and she just didn't tell you. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. She's pretty, she's pretty because uh, like even up. her two tickets are still compared to everything you've done in a car. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she can tell him. Like if she yeah. got a ticket, she can tell him. And be like, well, still not as bad as you. Oh no, she's not fine. even close. But she's pretty straight up. I don't think she's having a ticket. I don't think she had a ticket. She's a wonderful that is driver. Genuinely impressive. Yeah, she's she a didn't go driver. to UNLV. I guess not. No, that is impressive. Has she, she ever been in an accident where somebody else hit her? No. She's uh, never been anywhere where police came. I've been came. in three of those. <laughs> <laughs> She's never been in anywhere where police police had to show up for anything. All right. Yeah. Why do you but, ever drive? Well, with her, I don't. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> I mean, if That's I have to right drive decision. by myself, like this, like every morning, <laughs> and the last thing, the last thing every day, be careful. <laughs> Sound asleep, but she wakes up enough to say, "Be careful." <laughs> I don't want to have to raise these kids. <laughs> exactly. The first bite. It's your last day to enter the Real Estate Guys 15K giveaway. Go to lvsportsnetwork.com and enter today. It's your last day. It's the big banner right in the middle of the page. Yeah. How many wins do the Raiders need to save Derek Carr's job? Do you think they've already made a decision? No. I don't either. I don't think they've already made a decision. I kind of do. Do you? I I texted Tyler about this over the weekend, and it was genuinely frightening. Because 
I don't think you can make the decision unless you know what the options are. And if, right. And until you know where you're picking, what your plan is for 2023, because I am going to expect Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler to sort of be all in next year again. Right. I don't expect there to be a rebuilding mode. Um, If there was, then Carr shouldn't come back and you should draft a quarterback and make him the guy. See what happens. But I don't expect there to be any sort of rebuilding situation for the Raiders. I don't think Mark Davis wants that. And I don't think Dave Ziegler or Josh McDaniels want that. And I think, and here's to me the key. The Raiders are five and eight. Uh, They are almost surely not going to lose all of their games the rest of the season. Uh, They're also surely not going to win all of their games the rest of the season. They're going to finish with whatever, seven wins or something like that. They're going to be seven and ten. And I think if you're McDaniels and Ziggler and Mark Davis, the people that are going to be making this decision, I really think they're going to talk themselves into, we were close. I really yes, think they're going to... all the one-score losses, right. six, seven, one-score losses that we were that close to the playoffs. We were yeah. that close to 10 and 7 instead yeah. of 7 and 10. And if that's the case, if, if you're not going to rebuild, because I don't think any of those three guys want to... Especially the guy at the top. And if you go 7 and 10 and you look back and say, oh, we, we lost were close. six games or whatever the number's going to be by one score, if we could just hold mm-hmm. on to a 17 nothing lead once or twice... Or 20. Like, they're going to talk themselves into being close, and then it becomes... Well, is Derek Carr the guy or can we upgrade there? And that becomes the question because uh, Lamar Jackson, for example, doesn't have a long-term deal. I assume the Ravens will at the very least franchise Franchise tag tag him, Lamar Jackson. So I'm not assuming Lamar Jackson's going to be available. But if, for example, he did become available, then Derek Carr might not be the quarterback because they go out and get Lamar Jackson, right? So I don't think you can make that decision until you get to the offseason and know two things. What your plan is for 2023 and what, what are the quarterbacks are out yeah, there? That what you quarterbacks are out in. there? So yeah. until we get, because here's the other part of this. What if they do lose all of their games the rest of the season? And, and they six and 11. A, yeah. And they finish as well, just not uh, six and 11. Five, what am I saying? Five, five and 12. 12. And they finish as five and 12. And that would probably put them what around four, five, six in right. the draft, something around that range. Maybe they fall in love with a quarterback they can get in the first round. Right. Or maybe a five win team, they're far enough away that they can't convince themselves they're close. And they say, wow, we really do need to blow up at least the quarterback position. And even if it's not a clear upgrade, we just know we can't do it with Derek Carr. So I don't know that you can make that decision until we get no. into the offseason. And the interesting part with Derek Carr is it's that three day window after the Super Bowl where they can cut him and there's no uh, long term cap. Problem, right, right. It's it's a clean, basically a clean break. But if you sign him, he's getting thirty five million dollars. Right. If those three days go by and he's still on the roster, his contract's guaranteed for the next two years or right. so. And then you got to figure out what to do because the other interesting part is there going to be a trade market for Carr? Oh, I think so. I do. I think he's good enough to where someone would take a chance on him. And I I don't know what the value would be for him, though. So if there's a trade market, you absolutely can't cut him in that three-day window. If there's a trade market for Carr, you have to keep him around. Because even if you plan on moving on from him, you're going to trade him for something. Do you think Houston wants another Carr? No, they are drafting Bryce Young. Uh, Maybe you could... (laughs) 
You could draft Bryce Young if you could convince. Texans aren't very smart. We've seen the evidence. I thought all the people who were gone that were dumb. Oh, yeah, they did finally fire that guy. Yeah. So it's, maybe they're still we dumb. Can't, we can't forget that he has a no-trade clause. That too. Um, I think you he could, could uh, he, he could decline. Well, it. it's either retire as a Raider and be cut or be traded. You waive the no trade. Well, no, he'd, he'd prefer to be cut. Then he can just sign wherever he wants. Then he's, oh, yeah. then how would he retire agent? as a Raider? They wouldn't. Well, he wouldn't. Yeah. That, that, that song and dance that he's going to give up football he and he's going to give up 30. He? No, he's going to give up 30 <laughs> to 40 million is uh, not, not true. It's just, it's an interesting spot to be because I, I believe there's a real possibility that the Raiders finish this year as a seven and 10 team and they go into the off season wanting to um, not rebuild, wanting to contend in 2023 and they decide our best option is still Derek Carr. I think that's a real possibility because I don't believe they're going to be convinced a first round rookie quarterback will give them that chance. And there might not be a lot of options out there. Did you see the Ian Rappaport report um, before the games yesterday about Tom Brady? I uh, know I'm reading it right now. Multiple sources close to the legendary quarterback say all options are on the table for Brady, who at age 45 feels good enough to keep playing. So all options means retirement, re-sign with the Buccaneers. Or go be a free agent. Become a free agent and sign with somebody else. So, Can you get a divorce annulled? <laughs> Here's the fascinating part. Tom Brady has been so bad. I'm not even sure if you're the Raiders, you want yeah. him. Tom Brady oh, looks 45. Oh, oh, he would sell a lot of uh, merchandise. It's They don't need help selling merchandise. They've been terrible for two decades, and they always have a player in the top 20 of jersey sales. Yeah. And I'm sure they do now with Devontae. Yeah. They do They do not They do not need any help that's, selling merchandise. Okay, that, they that do not makes need them being help. poor confusing. Mark Davis doesn't get the money when The Cowboys Devontae have been bad Adams. since the 90s, and they, they constantly... Mark Davis doesn't get money when they sell a Devontae no. Adams jersey. I feel like that's wrong. I'm Googling it. The whole league gets it, and then Davis gets a share of it. But it's not like, oh, you bought a Devontae Adams jersey, not a Tyree Kill jersey. Mark Davis getting ten dollars of every gets shirt, the money, or whatever. It all goes into a pool and then gets split out afterwards. Brady, for the first time, I mean, I think you'll agree, looks his age. He looked his age his last year in New England. That's yeah. why it was a genuine conversation about like what are the Buccaneers doing? He was his last two years in New England. It he looked, looked like he was done. And then he goes to Tampa and was, hey, I'm Tom Brady again. And did I'm that going for two to go years. To Super Bowl, yeah. And he, now he's off again. I don't have to play in the cold. He, yesterday against the 49ers, he threw 55 passes. I don't think more than four of them went more than 10 yards down Damn. the field. Everything is just, I'm going to throw it short. I got to throw it short here. Everything for him. He is uh, 19th in EPA this season, which is not very good. Um, can't be worse any worse than Deshaun Watson. If if it if Tom Brady was a free agent, actually I think he is worse than Deshaun Watson. Oh my god. I think yesterday's performances, I think they were worse than Deshaun Watson so far. Um but if you if you took like if if we get to the the offseason and Tom Brady was a free agent and Tom Brady wanted to come play in Vegas for again, Josh McDaniels. Dana White said he did. I believe McDaniels is taking Tom Brady, but there's a genuine conversation you would have to have about 
does Derek Carr or Tom Brady give me a better shot at yeah, winning? A better shot of winning and getting into the playoffs. Because you're talking, what is Brady right now? 45? Yes. You're talking about a 46-year-old who has looked awful this year versus Carr, who's been Derek Carr. Like, you know what you're getting with Carr. Brady, maybe you maybe he's all of a sudden, look, I'm back. I'm the greatest of all time again. Or maybe you're getting, oh, yeah, he's 46 years old. Right. So that would be, that's why we get to the offseason. What are the options? That's the genuine question. What are the options? Because there's a real chance, even if they're a seven-win team, Derek Carr is the best option for a 2023 team. They'd really have to hit on a quarterback given where seven and ten they'd be picking. Because the top three guys who everyone said the top three would be gone. You'd be so they'd have to really evaluate and hit on a quarterback. Or you'd have to find a way to trade up. And right. I don't know if they have the player assets to do so. You'd probably be giving up draft picks to move up. Um Maybe Carr, you package Carr in a first round pick to move up, but again, Carr has to agree to it and all that. So they 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 could move up conceivably if there was one earlier in the draft they wanted, but it might be sort of costly for their future first round picks. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some UNLV football because it, Barry Odom already had his dream job. He can't leave UNLV after a year. Driscoll fakes the give. Now, running to his right, he's going to throw downfield, and it's caught by Amari Rogers! Touchdown! Oh my goodness! What a throw by Driscoll! It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. By the way, that was the guy who got cut by the Packers because he couldn't catch punts or would fumble punts, uh, catching his first career touchdown as a Houston Texan from Jeff Driscoll. He did not catch a touchdown from Aaron Rodgers, but he caught one from, from Jeff, Jeff Driscoll. Driscoll. Uh, and the only reason he's there is because he can't handle punts. And because of him, every single time I see him, I go, hey, he played quarterback at Nope, different name. <laughs> uh, so, UNLV football hired Barry Odom last week. Uh, a couple things we have not gotten to yet on this. First, I think, is a very, very important detail. Barry Odom played football at Missouri. And Barry Odom has already been the head coach at Missouri. We have seen this in UNLV basketball. TJ Otzelberger, Chris Beard, by the way. We'll get to some Chris Beard news later in the yeah, day. That's ouch, disturbing. Ouch. Um, but we have seen this where UNLV basketball has lost a head coach because they took their dream job. Right. Iowa State became available. Texas Tech became available. Great job by Eric Harper and UNLV to hire somebody that already had the dream job. He's, I mean, I guess Missouri could rehire him, but he's not leaving for Missouri after a year or two. Cause I assume Missouri's not going to bring him back for a second stint. Do you think Desiree would really come and steal UNLV's head <laughs> oh, coach? I forgot. She's there too. She's the athletic director. That would be, that would honestly, I think that would trump all of the other dream job scenarios UNLV coaches. If she came and stole UNLV's football coach to bring him back to Missouri. After he had already been fired by Missouri three or four years ago. If he coached here for one season and was great and left for Missouri, I think that would that would trump actually here's the thing, Ed. The whole the whole dream job thing, the problem for UNLV has been the basketball program never won anything. Obviously, Beard left before he coached a game, but Otzelberger left after two years and didn't they, didn't. they didn't do anything, right? Like that's been the. Pro- it's one thing if you lose a coach to a better job or even their dream job after you've won something, right? Like if this year's UNLV basketball team 
goes to the NCAA tournament and, and Kruger left, it's going to suck because you're, you're hiring a new coach again. And people here would be like, oh, Kevin Kruger's the guy. But at least you would have gotten something out of it. The problem is UNLV keeps losing coaches who don't do anything. Right. But Bear, I, I assume Barry Odom's not going back to Missouri after a year because they just fired that guy. And you don't normally go back to and say, oh, he figured it out now. I guarantee he lives here. If he gets to live here for any uh, seven months, he's going to go, I don't ever want to go back to Missouri. Oh, man, it's going to take that long? I, I'm Well, you got to you gotta figure out why everyone's wearing winter coats when it's like 60 degrees outside. <laughs> but once you figure that out, you're like, I don't ever want to go back to tornadoes. I'm going to turn Missouri and Mississippi into the same state really quick. You can tell me if I'm wrong here. Um, there are two types of people in Mississippi. The ones that want to leave and never come back and the ones that never want to leave mm-hmm. or touch any other state that could be Missouri. That is that's uh, Missouri. I have lived. Yes. No, that's a, the, the guy who goes, well, why, why would I go somewhere else? I can bring my gun to Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think's happening? Do you think there's going to be a diehard? Si- <laughs> Never mind. So I don't know which one Barry Odom is. I'm going to guess he's the one that's happy with leaving. Cause he's coached college football at Arkansas and Memphis, but granted he was at Memphis for one year in Arkansas, I think for three so it's not like he had been in either it of those places very long. Memphis, or not Memphis, Arkansas is, is like yes. is worse than Missouri. No, it's basically just you. We, we could take Kansas, Missouri, and Arkansas and just fuse them into one state and really save time on postage. I mean, listen, Missouri has Kansas City. Arkansas doesn't have that. No. Arkansas is Fayetteville. <laughs> Arkansas has highways sponsored by the KKK. <laughs> so I don't know if Barry Odom's the guy that wants to go back or doesn't want to go back, but that's uh, to completely generalize. It's going to be a hard sell when you're park. recruiting somebody. Hey, yeah, coach. While I was driving in for my campus visit, the highway kept saying cleaned and maintained by the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> it's all right. Um, something else with Barry Odom's contract here. Uh, that we didn't talk about this part. Highest paid coach in the Mountain West now. Going to make $1.75 million in his first year. Uh, the fifth year of his contract is up to $2.25 million. So UNLV, assuming Barry Odom is here for at least three years, will be paying their head football coach $2 million. What should we make of UNLV having the highest paid coach in the Mountain West. Well, he was from the SEC, so my guess is, even though he got fired, that this is what he, I don't want to say demanded, but this is what he expected, at least, from he, a school like UNLV. I think he expected $2 million. He actually took a pay cut yeah. for this season. He was making one point eight as the defensive coordinator. Right, so he, I don't think he was going to come down very much. Yeah. So there, there's two parts of this. One to me, feels like UNLV is massively overpaying based on what the rest of this conference is doing. That most of the guys that are making, uh, well, now second, third, fourth most in the conference have been winning at the Mountain West level. Most of the guys that are the highest paid in the conference are ones that have proven, oh, you can win at the Mountain West level with this guy as head coach. We don't know that Barry Odom can do that. No idea if he's going to win at the Mountain West level. So part of me feels like they are massively overpaying for a guy that you have no idea if he's going to win at the Mountain West level. But the other part feels very much like 
well, they weren't going to get a coach unless they paid that much money. Right. Or right. they were going to get a... They were going to get a coordinator. A very underwhelming first-year head coach. Someone yeah. who really, really just wanted to be the guy. They were going to get, yeah, a coordinator from another Mountain West school. Right. Or an FCS guy getting the jump right. bump up. So part of me feels like it's a massive overpay. Because is he going to win at this level? We have literally no idea. Whereas other guys that are making 1-5 in the Mountain West generally are guys that, you know, have proven they can win at the Mountain West level. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know that Eric Harper had a choice it, if he was dead set on hiring a guy with head coaching experience right. and, and the resume. The bear, he could have taken a chance on, absolutely could have taken a chance on somebody. But it's just, it's such a strange place to be that UNLV, who's maybe the worst football member of the uh, Mountain West since it formed, is now ha- now has the highest paid coach yeah. in the Mountain West. And it's not like, oh, they hit on somebody and he's been there for four years and he's been to a few bowl games. It's just... We're taking a shot on Barry Odom here. So that part to me is fascinating because UNLV is out here paying a lot of money and there's not much of a guarantee they're even going to a bowl game anytime soon. UNLV would be technically the richest team outside of what? San Diego State? Like, it's like the richest school as far as like, they've got like 40,000 people who go to it, right? Am I, I'm, I'm, of, I'm looking at like, you at like in terms of like operational budgets. Yes, or what, the athletic department budgets. They I don't, probably should be. I don't okay, know the, I don't know that they are. Right. Like, does Boise State make more simply because their football program is better and has been good for a long time and sell a lot more tickets? Yeah, and for, and they get a bigger cut of the media deal. Like Boise, I'm I'm guessing Boise State. Well, Boise State should have won department. a national championship when we had computers do this. <laughs> I I don't think I've ever told you guys the story. I was in a speech class uh, at a technical, like at, at a math college in Missouri. This was in high school, and a guy gave a full-on speech about how Boise State should have won a national championship, <laughs> and that was his speech final. It's a good topic. Yeah, that the only thing Did I know about Boise you? State was that and the Statue of Liberty. Did he convince you? Yes. All right. I, I, oh, then he did well. Should have put him in. It's also led to my crappier and crappier takes, like Central Florida should have won a national championship. They did. That dentist magazine gave them the national they championship. Gave him a, they gave him rings. Yeah. That that magazine of dentists who puts out a, their own top 25 ranking, uh, they did. Central Florida did win a national championship. Um, man. Boise State did kind of blow it. They had like a long peak there and did never actually get a legitimate shot to play. How do you not get in the Pac-12 doing that? Because they're in Boise, Idaho. Yeah, because they're in Boise and their market is Boise, Idaho. I mean, genuinely, if UNLV had that run. the blue turf! If UNLV (laughs) went on that run, they'd they'd be in the Pac-12 right now. They had that run in basketball and they went from like, what, the big sky to the... Well, that was before people knew conferences really mattered. Oh, okay. Like this—that was before Paul Feinbaum. This whole Power you. Five thing and the massive amounts of money they make—it's a relatively new situation in college athletics. Yeah, like this is like maybe two decades yeah. old here, but like in the '90s, in the '80s and '90s, it was—it didn't. What conference are you? And the—it was the Big Eight. Like one of the best conferences in the country had eight teams in it, and they were all Midwestern teams. Farm boys. Yeah. There was never a thought in the world about television markets when Nebraska and Oklahoma were the two best teams in the country. There's no idea about the Pac-12 messing up their media deal. Right. So, could be fun. But yeah, Boise State kind of blew it. Actually, 
the college football playoff blew it for Boise State because they probably would have gotten in one year if they had at least four teams yeah. back when Boise State was good. But because it was only two in the BCS, they had no chance. They, yeah, they genuinely didn't have it. Everybody had to have two losses, yeah. basically, to have a chance. All right, coming up next, Sam Gordon joins the show. You know, it's it's not just calling a pass play or calling a deep shot. It's everything has to, to work together. So the route has to be run properly. The read has to be made properly. The protection has to be done well. And then you have an opportunity to make a play. You know, just because somebody calls something, which there was a number of them called last night, doesn't mean that the ball is ultimately going to get fired down the field or we're going to have great, great success. When we've had success this year, it's been the result of everybody doing their job well. That's the reality. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Sam Gordon. Good morning, Sam. Sam A. Good morning, fellas. Happy Monday. How you guys doing? Good, good. Um, it's been a few days since the Thursday night loss to the Rams. Um, have you have you come up with any uh, explanation as to how the Raiders keep losing unlosable games? Oh, geez, I wish I could. I, I mean, I really think. Um, on, on Thursday, Tyler, it came down to just coaching, quite frankly. I mean, Josh McDaniels, regardless of what he says or, or how he tries to couch it, he got tight. He called he called the game tightly. There was nothing um, nothing down the field, a lot of conservative run plays, and then, you know, punting on fourth and short, right? Or, or And then just from that standpoint, you have that standpoint from play calling, and then in terms of just execution, um, disastrous penalties, untimely penalties, and, and a seemingly – um, lack of expectation for what what Baker Mayfield on one day's notice is is going to do uh, in the two minute drill. There's, I mean, there's nothing. He didn't know the playbook. There's nothing that the the, the Rams really did except run four four go routes. Um, you know, every time down the field, and that's something Baker Mayfield can do. It seemed like the Raiders had absolutely no no idea what to expect, no idea what to prepare for, and lo and behold, you saw the result. So uh, I think a lot of these games, these close games that the Raiders lose, have the same you know a similar script where uh, the opposing team makes a lot of adjustments in the second half. Uh, the Raiders don't, and, and then they, they struggle to finish. So uh, it's been, I mean, the, 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 the talent, uh, there, there, there hasn't been any question to me that it's not a perfect roster by any means. We understand that. But it's a talented enough roster to, to be a lot better than 5-8. and eight. And here we are uh, at this point in the season where you, you've blown three 17-point leads. You blew a two-score lead to a Rams team without its all-pros with a quarterback it had signed a day ago. And they also, of course, had the Jeff Saturday loss, and the, De- the Dennis Allen loss, too, in which they were shut out completely. So uh, at this point in the season, no loss um, it can be surprising with, with, this, with this Raider group. And uh, they had, a, I thought, a great chance on, on Monday to put themselves in, in position to at least make these last four games uh, interesting. And, and with the way they finished, uh, that, that chance is out the window, in my opinion. How much do you think uh, throughout the year as he loses these one close, these one score games, these close games and blow all these leads, that it's just a case of him overthinking the room, that it's now kind of affecting I, him? I mean, I think that's prob- that probably has to be a, a part of it, right, Ed? I mean, I think on Thursday, clearly, um, the Raiders were in a position where they didn't, they played not to lose the game. They didn't want to lose, even, even beyond the, the lack of offense they were able to generate in the way they struggled you still very much had a chance on fourth and one uh, again again against the Rams team that has all these issues that has pretty much sucked the entire season you have a chance on fourth and one uh, to go for the jugular if you get one yard you're, you're in position there and I think you know based on what happened just kind of based on how the season has unfolded and based on the way the Raiders have lost some of these games they they didn't want to lose and they played uh, they played that way 
um, on Thursday. And I, I do have to, you know, think that, that they're a piece of that has to be a McDaniel psyche that they've lost a number of these games. There's, 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 there's been all these debacles. He's just trying to avoid one, right? And by doing so, by doing everything he could to avoid um, putting his team in a position to make mistakes, right? Having everything be super conservative. That was the ultimate mistake uh, um, on, on Thursday. So, you know, as, as much as it's, you know, he's repeated the rhetoric. We have, you know, we have to learn how to win these games. Well, they learned last year. I mean, it wasn't an issue last year. It's on him as the coach to teach them how to finish games. And, And quite frankly, he hasn't done that based on what we've seen, how they've lost so many of those games. They figured out a way to win close games last year. It really hasn't happened this year uh, outside of that, that three-game winning streak that they had. Where you, and, and then you take, take a look, big picture, five, out of five victories, two of them over Denver and one of them over Houston. So, you know, they, they, the Raiders do have to learn how to, how to finish games, and, and he has to learn how to finish, the close, finish close games. That's something we've seen going back to Denver that he hasn't been able to do. It's something that he has to figure out as a head coach if he wants to have success in this league. If we make the assumption that they finish the year as like a 7-10 and 10 team, um... Do you think that the uh, Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler duo, do you think they'll look at this and say, we were close. We just need to turn a couple of those one score losses into wins and we're a playoff team. And they ultimately kind of run most of the roster back next year, maybe make some changes around the edges or would seven and 10 not being in the playoffs. Do you think they'd look at it and say, oh, we need to make some drastic changes here? Oh, wow. Great question. Uh, I think, I mean, I think probably some uh, – I don't know if there's going to be any wholesale or drastic changes. I mean, obviously there is a way to, to – you know, they can they can move off of Derek Carr uh, if they want to. I think he'd have a number of suitors in the trade market based on how, how friendly his contract is, relatively speaking, to some of the other contracts that quarterbacks are getting. And if they can't find a deal for him, obviously they can cut him and, and get away with that with minimal guarantees. I think that would probably be unlikely and a trade would be more likely, but I'm not, I'm not even sure that's going to happen to your – to your question, I do think they probably would would would, would just want to uh, make some tweaks. I think first and foremost, defensively, you're going to have to start spending a little bit more money on upgrading that defense. More, majority of the money on the roster going to the offense. So I do think some upgrades on the defensive um, side of the ball are in order. And, and look, maybe that's may, look maybe just maybe that's the difference in being able to help the Raiders win some of those close games. I'm not so sure it is. Uh, per se, based on what we've seen from, from from the coaching this year and just just how repetitive some of these patterns are in these post losses. Uh, but if you are, if you are front office and if you're the coaching staff, I, I think it's much easier to say, Hey, if we just make a couple small improvements, maybe we can win some of those close games instead of having to totally um, alter the roster and do something drastic. I don't think you're at that point just quite yet. Um, and, and I do think there's a, there's a, a way they can, they can fit themselves into making some smaller changes, but either way, um, regardless of, of, of just kind of what, what they want to do, there's some upgrades on, on defense are in order. Um, even though a lot of these games, I think, have been winnable um, with, the, with the roster as status quo, I think if you think big picture in terms of, of putting together a team that can compete for a long time, something sustainable, that they do need a little bit more oomph and a little bit more pop on that defense based on what we've seen throughout the course of the season. How much do you put this at the feet of Patrick Graham? Uh, I mean, he's definitely part of it. Um, there's there, there's no doubt about that. I think he's been uh, underwhelming in every sense. This is still one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They're bad situationally. They're bad overall. You can move the ball against this team. Um, no problem. Baker Mayfield moved the ball with, with one day of practice when he absolutely had to uh, because of the way um, that, that, that Patrick Graham was calling the defense um, down the stretch. But, 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 you know, Josh McDaniels is the head coach, right? He brought Patrick Graham in here. 
And, yes, Patrick Graham is the defensive coordinator responsible for the defense, but ultimately I think this falls on the head coach as well. If he doesn't, you know, whatever he has to do, if he has to talk to Patrick Graham in order to make some adjustments, if he has to make some changes next year, we'll see. So, so some of this definitely falls on Patrick Graham, but I don't think, it, I don't think the buck stops with him or ends with him. I think it starts, starts with the head coach, um, and that's, again, what, where, where these, um, these issues have come from in these close games. Sam, McDaniels kind of implied that he couldn't just call a pass play, which makes me wonder about Derek Carr. Um, so in the time that you have covered the team, and even before that, the moment where Baker Mayfield throws a touchdown with like 15 seconds left from 20 yards out, have you seen a moment like that from Derek Carr? Because all I, all those moments are always like Devontae Adams makes a guy fall down. Uh, um, you know, it's that's a great question. I mean, Derek Carr certainly had he's had his fair share of big moments in the league. I think the one that 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 comes back to me, um, obviously not quite. I mean, what Baker Mayfield did on Thursday was, I mean, that was kind of storybook, right? I thought our our, our colleague Adam Hill did an excellent job, just you know, in kind of capturing what he was able to accomplish and how special of a moment um, that was for him. So I don't think Derek uh, Derek Carr's done anything quite that, I guess, miraculous. Uh, but but what I can remember, probably the, the, the biggest moment in his career that I can remember was on that Monday night game in, in the season opener last year against Baltimore. Threw for over 400 yards, had a huge drive to tie the game late, and then threw the game-winning um, touchdown pass in overtime. I mean, Derek Carr is a productive quarterback in this league. He's more than capable. As it pertains to Thursday, I felt like Josh McDaniels clearly lost you know, after that pick that he threw on the goal line. Definitely an egregious interception, but, but Josh McDaniels called the game in a way that reflected a lack of confidence in Derek Carr. And that's not going to help him out uh, by any means if we're talking big pictures. So what Baker was able to do on Thursday, definitely spectacular. But Derek Carr, again, more than a capable for all the kind of ups and downs that he's had, he is more than capable uh, of making big plays in big spots. He's done it at various junctures. And it was not, quite frankly, not put in position to do so uh, on Thursday in the second half because of the way the game was called. All right, Sam, we appreciate you getting up early to talk to us. Uh, have a good rest of the morning for us. <laughs> appreciate it, guys. Thank Thanks, you guys Sammy. for having me. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. Take See care. You. Talk At to you. some point, we'll call him after a win. <laughs> I got to win one. I got to do that. Sam Gordon, Monday. We, they won three in a row. We talked to him at some point in that three weeks, didn't we? I don't think we did. I think we just. I'm trying to remember if we did, or I'm is it just after sure loss, Monday Sam after loss. Sam is Mondays after losses. Sam, poor Sammy doesn't get winning Monday where he gets it off. Uh, oh well. Oh well. He's Sam Gordon from the Review Journal. Um, coming up next, the New York Mets are going to buy a World Series. Purdy going to drop back to pass under pressure. Going to step up, try to run for it, and go to the end zone. Standing touchdown. Sam. Francisco! Purdy gonna throw for the end zone for McCaffrey! Makes the catch for a touchdown! What an adjustment there by Christian McCaffrey! Purdy back, time, pumps, now gonna throw for the end zone, wide open, Brandon IU! Touchdown! San Francisco! IU! IU! IU is on fire! Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Wait, wait, wait. Is that the actual 49ers radio broadcast call of a Brandon Ayuk touchdown? Yes, it is. That is excellent. How many touchdowns has he scored this year? 
because that's how many times you have failed to give us audio of them yelling. Ayuk, Ayuk, Ayuk is, is on, on fire. fire. I mean, they are the San Francisco 49ers, so I I kind of assume I know they keep winning, but I keep assuming that eventually they're I, they're like the Seattle Mariners. I just always assume that there's going to become a point of the season where not having a quarterback will bite them in the ass. Well, normally it's the NFC Championship game. Um, <laughs> Which is farther than the Mariners make it. Uh, that is my request the rest of the year, Jared. If Brandon Ayuk scores a touchdown, we need that audio. Okay. Somewhere in the show. Because the entire... That is not just... That was not just the play-by-play guy coming up with a that funny was... call. That was the entire... Like, I think they turned on all the mics of all the producers and everybody to yell. Oh, it's phenomenal. Like, that, that's great. So more of that, please. And now Brandon Ayuk... I can't believe it's the first time they've done it. No, it can't be. No, it can't no, be. Surely no, they've been be. doing that before. Don't call me Shirley. Um, so, the Mets, their payroll is now over $300 million. Uh, it is looking more and more likely that they are going to pay just in luxury tax more than like five, six, seven teams are going to pay their entire roster this season. Uh, but the Mets payroll is over $300 million. They signed Kodai Senga. Uh, who is one of the two big-name Japanese players that is coming over to the United States this year. He got a five-year, $75 million deal. He's a starting pitcher. This offseason, the Mets have signed Justin Verlander, uh, Jose Quintana, Senga. They also re-signed Brandon Nemo, uh, who was you know the number one center fielder on the market, unless you consider Judge a center fielder, uh, and also re-signed Edwin Diaz to a massive deal for a reliever. Steve Cohen bought a baseball team, and is spending money. Well, I love this, given who my favorite team is. I want you to spend as much money as possible. You do? Yes, you darn right. I do. You have to make the you know you have to make good decisions with your money. But I yes, I want to be a fan of a team that tries really hard to win. I want that's that's what I want to be. I want to be a fan of a team that at least tries. All right, all and right. You, you there's two, no way my team's trying. You made two points there. The Dodgers aren't trying. Not right. Not this okay. off season. The not biggest right the biggest decision they've made is Clayton Kershaw, twenty million dollars. Okay. All right. All right. We'll yell about the Dodgers in a second if you want. But when you say you've got to spend your money wisely, you do no. if you're in a salary cap sport or like a lot of baseball teams do install their own salary cap, right? Like to use the Astros, for example, right. the Astros don't want to go over the luxury tax right. line. They don't want to go over the tax. If you're Steve Cohen and you're just willing to spend money, he doesn't actually have to spend it wisely. If Verlander's arm falls off and he's still got to pay him next year, he can just go out in free agency and buy another starting pitcher if he wants to, if this is how he's going to spend his money. So he doesn't have to unless he decides. Oh, I need to. I need to save some money on my baseball team. If you're gonna, if you're willing, I just, to just prefer keep spending, they. I just prefer my team sign good players. I mean, yes, that is very helpful. <laughs> that, that does help quite a lot. So, uh, you seem kind of worried that the Mets are going to be yes. the team in no. the NL and not the Dodgers anymore. I seem kind of worried there could be three or four teams in the NL, and not the Dodgers anymore. Like I said, I, what have they done? What have they done in the offseason? They lost Turner. They lost poor Belly. Uh, <laughs> Went to the Cubs. Uh, the only major move they've You're done. broken up about that. The only major move they've done is sign Kershaw. That's it. That's all, all right. they've done. All right. All right. Uh, run me through their starting position players. Will Smith's behind the plate. Freddie Freeman's at first. What's the middle infield look like right now? 
Well, right now, Gavin Lux is second. Excuse me, Gavin Lux is short, and probably Max Muncy is second. Justin Turner's still there, right? At third? Or uh, is he a free agent? He's a free agent. Did he only sign a one-year? Didn't Wasn't he a free agent last was, year? Yes. I, I don't know if he signed another one-year deal. Trace Thompson in left, Mookie in right. I'm not sure who takes over for Belly. All right, you do have Bellyman. a few holes. Yeah. You got, you got a few significant yes. holes there. And we know about the starting pitching. You're, you can keep yelling about that. Okay. Dodgers have a few holes. Um, yes. All right. I, I think I think you're justified in complaining about what the Dodgers have not I'm done. Just, this I think I'm justified in being concerned. Yeah. I think that's fair that they haven't done much of anything. And there's, there's two significant holes in the lineup. And then the starting pitching has a couple of spots as well. But it is December. And the baseball offseason oftentimes... Guys that are going to start and play 140 games get signed like the day before spring training starts. So you still got time to sign some important players. Also, are the Dodgers just relying on, oh, all these prospects we normally trade away? Some of them well, might that be good could for be, us. That could be true also. Yeah, it could help. It could help. Dodgers still be good. But I, th- I think you are right to be concerned that uh, there are other teams in the NL that might end up being better than the Dodgers yes. this year, which is, I mean, other teams have had better records, but for the better part of a decade, the Dodgers have been the team in the National yes. League. Don't always win an NL, but they're the team in the National League. Here's what I'm interested to see uh, Major League Baseball side of this. How do they turn Steve Cohen and the Mets into the problem here? Like, how do they end up punishing Steve Cohen and the Mets for spending money? I mean, if he's going to pay the luxury tax, how, how would he How would he be the issue? I mean, well, okay, because here, here's what we have. Steve Cohen is what we should want in Major League Baseball owners, which is, hey, we don't have a salary cap. I can spend. I can get Justin Verlander and Edwin Diaz and Jose Quintana and Brandon Nimmo and one of the best Japanese players that's coming over. Fantastic. I'll do just that. He's what we should want. Whereas the A's, the Pirates, the Reds, whatever, the Rays, there's so many teams that just don't, don't spend any money at all. And I'm fascinated to see the luxury tax is in place already for Steve Cohen like owners where it's like, all right, yeah, you can spend as much as you want, but you're going to have to give us a bunch yeah, of money on top of that. A ton of money. I'm fascinated to see how, but how can they make him the bad guy? Because they don't want Steve Cohen. They, if you're the A's or the Reds or the Pirates, you don't want, no, you Steve don't want Cohen. him spending that much money because you but... look bad. You already look bad, but now it's like, oh, you can literally buy a world. Well, you could buy a playoff contending team and the Reds won't do it. The Pirates won't do it. People have been doing that for a while. Right. And if Steve Cohen's going to come in and spend this much money, I guarantee there's going to be either just like a narrative of some sort from owners that are like, oh, we don't know if we like that. Or they'll actually try to put in something on top of the luxury tax to make Steve Cohen hurt a little bit more for spending this much money. That's what I'm fascinated to because the big thing in baseball there's no salary cap, but somehow it's the sport with the cheapest owners who don't want to spend any money on players until Steve Cohen arrives.